Welcome to HR in the Car with Miriam Duchesne and Tom Shin of Alant Workforce Solutions, where exciting HR professionals and business leaders share laughter, insider stories, and maybe even a few tears about HR in today's world. Buckle up for the best half hour of your week. So, Tom, today we are going to have another one of my favorite people on. I feel like I say that a lot in these, that uh, we keep having favorite people on, but there's a lot of favorite people in the region that I love. But this one's near and dear to me. Anne-Marie Lannessy, founder of CanCode Communities, formerly known as Albany CanCode, is joining us. And I'm just really excited to share what this organization is doing and how it's impacting lives. And so I'm super excited to have her join us and you to learn a little bit more because I know her really well, but you just, like you said, know her in passing. Yeah, I've only met her a couple of times and just some casual conversation. Can I get you a glass of water kind of moments? Exactly, exactly. You know, being a listener to the podcast, it's a little harder for you to see the light that's in her eyes as she talks about everything. It's it is um, infectious, and I know we don't like to use those terms anymore considering pandemics, but <laughs> her passion and energy is infectious, and she's she's been a huge influence on my life in so many ways, so I'm really excited for us to talk with her. Thanks for joining us today, Anne-Marie. It's a pleasure to finally get down and have a real conversation. I know we passed each other a few times and gotten some hellos from a few different people, but we're excited to have you here on HR in the Car. Yes, so thank you for joining us today. So I want to start with a story about you that I, I you may or may not even remember this, but it was impactful for me and my life. So as many of you know, I do not have a college degree. And I spent a long time being embarrassed of that fact. And um, I remember when I started to learn more about Albany King Code and what you guys were doing, but it was in the really beginning. And you and I had lunch and it was at Tala. We were talking about how we could start to work together. And I was really excited about the things that you were starting to do. And I believed in everything. And I shared with you that it was important to me to start to get rid of that stigma of the college education being like a symbol of something other than, you know, like you weren't worthy unless you had a college degree. At least that's how I felt. And you said, I never would have known that you didn't have a college degree and you don't need to have a college degree to have a successful career and have a great pathway to success. And so you are the reason that I stopped being embarrassed and started talking more boldly about the fact that I don't have that. I don't know if you really realize how much that actually impacted my my ability to be proud of that and not be ashamed by it because of, you know, everything else that we've done with a lot and, and my career as a whole. But you really helped me embrace that and not be ashamed of it anymore. So I just want to say thank you for that because it was really important to me. It Beautiful. meant a lot. Wow. Thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah. And I believe I knew this story, but I don't know that I knew the impact that it had. And I'm so grateful that it did because you have been such a role model to so many people. And I think an even bigger role model to so many people knowing that's your story. So it's just such an inspiration. Thank you. Yeah. So tell us more about CanCode Community. So for the people who don't know what CanCode is and how it started, it's. I think it's really important to share that story. So can you can you share with our listeners about CanCode? One, first what it is, but really how it started because it's important. Yeah, there's a few different, I would say, almost like light bulb moments that I had that were like the genesis and culmination of the passion for wanting to create something and the one that is most loud and clear, although there's a couple others and maybe I'll get to tell those too. But 
was when I was in my office before starting CanCode, I ran a software company with my husband, a small boutique custom Ruby on Rails development shop. And um, we were looking to hire Ruby on Rails developers, couldn't find any in the capital region. Um, Many people may know a woman named Susan Lundberg, Mm -hmm. Miriam knows well. Uh, Susan, you know, had worked with us as a recruiter and she brought to me someone who worked in a kitchen. He never went to college and he had a friend who was a programmer and they enjoyed the conversations that they had. He, um, He thought, well, maybe I could be a programmer too. I really find this conversation interesting. And so he taught himself Ruby on Rails. Uh, Susan came to me, she said, well, you talk a lot about alternative talent. And at that, to- that time, I was talking a lot about why are there not more women in the rooms that I sit in? Because very, very few women in software consulting and software development. And she said, he's self-taught, never been to college. He's taught himself Ruby. Would you like to give him an internship? And he came to work for me and he sat side by side with someone who had a degree from one of the top tier local computer science schools. And... Um, this self-taught individual sped right past this individual that had this college degree. And I swear it was like a cartoon moment where I almost saw the little cartoon like light bulb, you know, go off over my head. And I was like pointed at my, out my window, which was in downtown Troy, full, like just full glass, beautiful windows. And I said, she could be a developer. He could be a developer. Oh my gosh. They have no idea. They could be programmers and these are high paying jobs. Holy smokes. We have to find more people like this individual. And that like lit my heart on fire yep. because I just got so passionate about this community service project, never thinking it was going to become its own business. And you know, now it's not for profit and started right out the gate as a, you know, an independent 501c3. And it's been an amazing journey ever since, as Miriam knows, who's been alongside me pretty much from the beginning. And um, we've just been growing pretty much ever since. So tell us more about the programs and the things that you offer through CanCode. So we started as an adult education workforce development program. So training adults for all of these unfilled computer science roles. We thought we were training computer programmers and we are, but we have since come to learn that we're training all kinds of what we call tech adjacent jobs. So I'm sure you both know about all those roles that employers can't fill for all these tech-related responsibilities like quality assurance and uh, project management, scrum master, um, requirements analysis, uh, so many other things, help desk support, um, all kinds of jobs that involve software that most people are terrified of because they think, oh, that's too technical for me or I would never be able to do that. So we've been training adults for that work. Um, We started with a 12-week front-end web development class. We had nine people that completed our first initial program, and now we're averaging about 50 to 60 people every three months, three or four months, give or take. We started in Albany. Yeah, very, very quickly. We almost doubled every six months. But now we're all around the state, and we have, through the pandemic, been offering our programs virtually, and so many, many people can take them, and our reach has widened quite a bit. Um, We also have two other parts of the work that we do That was the core and that was the start, but we also now do K-12 education. So we had some very forward-thinking superintendents come to us early say, see what you're doing with adults. We need help with K-12 with the youth and we're never going to have solved the workforce challenge if we don't start training young people for the jobs of the future. And so we started working with schools and that's been amazing. And this year, within the last 12 months, give or take, we've served probably about 500 kids. And we're lesser known for that work because you know yeah. everybody hears about our adult education, but we do work um, across the capital region and beyond pretty broadly with young people. And then the third piece of the work that we do that just started roughly right before the pandemic is basic digital literacy education. So teaching all people how to use computers because when the pandemic hit, we realized that working from home was only gonna really be an option for people that didn't, that had skills to use a computer. And even had access. 
Exactly. Yep. So we started serving that that challenge and we've been doing that pretty much ever since. And that's been a growing part of our program. We served 85 people during the pandemic through the computer, which was amazing. Really, really hard to do. Teaching people how to use a computer virtually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can remember when smartphones started to become more and more prominent and you would ask candidates about their computer skills for certain roles. And they're like, yes, I have a smartphone. And the answer seemed to imply that I know how to use a computer, but it two very different things in terms of managing information and data versus knowing how to open up an application. So it's it's game changing now where you just walk in thinking that people have these skills and it's great that you're offering that to those that want it and need it. How far is your reach now? You mentioned statewide. I mean, tell us about some of the cities that you're tapping into these days. So after about a year or two into our program, we started to get calls from other communities in New York State. And it was very interesting because it was quite literally all up and down uh, the Hudson River and all across the Erie Canal. So we started to get calls down to New York City, Hudson Valley, Mohawk Valley, Rochester, Syracuse, Utica, Buffalo. And everybody said the same exact thing. We see what you're doing in Albany. We have the same challenges here. Can you help us? So can you bring your your model to our community in some kind of way? And we started initially in the Hudson Valley with a program in Kingston called Kingston Can Code. And we've been serving folks in Kingston probably two to three years now. Um, we have great partners. Um, part of our model that I think is part of why it works really well is that we we are not reinventing the wheel. We're trying to work with others that are already doing good work. And we partner with community college partners and community-based organizations. So we have a number of partners in the Hudson Valley. We're now in the Mohawk Valley. We've been running programs there with Herkimer Community College for about a year, give or take. We've run um, our first program, I think, this spring. And we just started a program in Jamestown, which is way out in the western wow. part of New York State. Wow. And we're doing digital literacy and some technology training. We just launched in New York City. So we're going to start our first program in January with the, our first CUNY partner, which is the Kingsborough Community College. We're really excited about that. Um, my mind is blown. Like I knew CanCode was growing. And obviously we hear quite a bit through Miriam. And it's, it's amazing to see that rapid growth in just a couple of years. Boom. Now, is, is, is the business that you mentioned that you came from, Ruby on Rails production, is that gone by the wayside now? Well, luckily, I was uh, running that organization, kind of head of business development and operations. My husband was the CTO and running the technology projects. And as CanCode grew, so I was initially the board chair and founder, I really had no intention of ever leaving that work. I really loved it. I actually still love that kind of work. But this just took on more and more of my life. And then when I became the CEO of the organization in 2018, my husband ended up taking on and just, you know, leading Green Tree, and uh, he's still running the organization, still still up and up and running and um, doing more Ruby on Rails projects. <laughs> I'm trying to think in terms of the students that you have coming in, the game-changing element that comes, as you mentioned, with the person that had come and had been a chef and moved in and now is fantastic. Other stories like that, are there other ones that just kind of make you smile, almost warm your heart or give you a good chuckle? You know, hearing people talk about the success stories is always really inspiring for others. Yeah. So when we first, you know, got out the gate with our first program, almost initially we started to have hearing incredible stories from the people in our programs. And there was one early on, which was an individual who... I don't know that he completed college. I think he may have attended college, but he liked programming and somehow, I think maybe he maybe took a, progr a programming class maybe in high school, found our program. At the time that he came through our program, he was working uh, the night shift at one of the big box retailers um, cleaning floors. So that was the, the job that he had at that time. He's one of my favorite stories still to this day because he was 
so ambitious and he was like riding his bike to work, which one would think in some communities that's an easy thing to do. But where he lived, this was really, really hard to do. He didn't have, you know, he wasn't making enough money to buy a car. He came through our program. He did really, really well. He started right out the gate in one of our higher level programming classes. He got hired right after completing the the class into an internship and the company gave him a summer internship. He came to me at the end of the summer. This is when I, I knew all the students at the time, like pretty, I knew their stories and what they were up to. I don't know all of them anymore um, as we've grown, but he, he said, I have a problem. The internship company wants to give me a full-time job, but I have another company that's interested in me and I'm kind of <laughs> feeling loyal to this internship. And I said, well, this is great. You get to like negotiate now on what you want them to pay you. And he, like I said, he was making a pretty low wage before um, this opportunity. He took the higher offer, which was not the company he was interning with. And he's, I believe, still with this this company. I probably spoke to him maybe a year or so ago. And um, he was probably making eighty five or 90000 at that time. Wow. So he also told me he was able to buy a house. And that was something he could have never dreamed he would have done before coming to our program. Life-altering. So, yep. Huge. Yep. Huge. Another gentleman that I always think of was our individual who was a veteran mm-hmm. and had been unemployed for, was it eight years? Mm-hmm. Yep. And came to the program. Did he go through both front end and back end? Mm-hmm. Went yep. through front end and back end. He got an opportunity to do the apprenticeship program mm-hmm. through another supporter of the program. And now he's making well over 100000 mm-hmm. And he had been unemployed and struggling for like eight years before he came through the program. And he wasn't just struggling from being unemployed. He was also a person of color and was facing and had faced. And we even witnessed some of the discrimination and bias that's out there, unfortunately, in our world. And just made me angry at the time. But also seeing well how he's overcome it and done such a really you know great job for himself and the nicest man you could ever meet. He was just you know somebody you wanted to say hello to, have a conversation with, and honestly get a hug from. Mm-hmm. He was just he's just a beautiful beautiful person, beautiful human. So I always think of him. Mm-hmm. But um, I remember this other person that you were talking about too, and that's just that's just who of how many stories Mm -hmm. we we were just looking. It's like over 500 Mm -hmm. people we've served Mm -hmm. over the last um, however many years. I've lost count. Mm -hmm. Same. (laughs) It's hard to keep up because it's changing so quickly. Right. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what's the value prop for an employer. Mm -hmm. So um, they're looking to fill a position for their organization. They need skills that we can provide through the training that we're giving to the people who are coming to our program. What would you say to an employer to take a look at our students and and give them a chance? Mm -hmm. So I think some things have changed since when we first started, but what's still similar to when we first started, and I I feel like has been very helpful to our organizations, I come from the perspective of what does a software employer need to hire like a software engineer? I think what we were able to do at the gate, we built this employer committee, which was I think probably out the gate, we probably had about 25 companies that, you know, I said, here's what we're looking to do because I was very engaged in the capital region with other people hiring software developers. And everyone said, yes, all in, like, how can we help? And so employers are coming, sending staff to our classes to mentor. So we have people that will come from all kinds of companies and all types of tech jobs, talk about what it's like to work for their company. That's one really easy way for an employer to get involved. um, And their staff love it because they love to talk about technology. Also out the gate, what we were able to do was start matching employers with talent, obviously, Mm -hmm. a new talent pipeline. That's sort of what 
we're here to do is to create a thriving, diverse tech talent pipeline in the capital region and beyond. And it was the smaller and mid-sized employers that out the gate were coming to us, which you probably can understand as you know, a recruiting firm. Some of the larger employers had bigger budgets. They could compete with you know some going directly to the top tier engineering schools and scooping up the talent, whether they're local or even national companies. And some of the mid-sized and smaller companies just really didn't have a ton of resources to find to find talent. And there really isn't enough people um, that have these skills. So we still are getting a lot of inbound interest from employers that are small and mid-sized, but now we're also seeing larger employers that are coming to us and saying, as we know, throughout the pandemic, the world's gotten flipped upside down, remote work, and now we're seeing a recession and everything is constantly changing all the time. But even larger employers are now saying, okay, we see it. You can provide us with an alternative pipeline of talent that quite frankly may not have even been on our radar. So they're coming to us to work with us on internship programs, apprenticeship programs, potentially even full-time direct hires. And we also encourage employers, if this is something you might be interested in working with us on, is to try an internship program because we know how hard it is to give someone a direct full-time position. But if you can try like a you know, part-time or a summer internship and you can sort of give someone that first work experience, even if they don't stay with your company, they have that on their resume and that's a great way for them to go into their next job. So I would say the other things we, if anybody's interested in getting involved in our employer network, we have quarterly roundtables. We like to hear what are the technologies people are hiring for so that we're making sure we're training for the right type of tools. And that changes quickly too. So like I started, I thought Ruby on Rails was what yep. you know we needed. And we do had a, we had a class called Ruby and Her Friends. <laughs> we ran it one time. And actually the folks that came out of this, we were just looking at this recently, did fairly well. Ruby on Ruby was pretty high paying of our of our courses. But we now have a JavaScript track. That's what we heard from most of our employers, JavaScript. We need a lot of JavaScript developers. So, but we're always open to hearing like if if you need a certain type of technology, we will yep. develop a class for that. Absolutely. Yep. What's in store in twenty three? For can code that the community doesn't really know about. You know, it doesn't reveal any big secrets, but yeah. something we can look forward to. Well, this has been an interesting year for us. I think this has been both a growth year, but also like a really like building the foundation because we have grown extremely fast and it, we are a nonprofit organization. I will say a nonprofit is a harder business than any other business that I've been involved in because yeah. <laughs> it's not really like fee for service and, you know, it's like grant funded and funded through philanthropy. And there's a lot just more mechanisms of how to pay for this work because it, you know, it doesn't really sustain itself without support. So this year we've been um, really just building a solid foundation so that we can be set up for further growth. We have been getting calls from other parts of the country, very, very similar to when I started getting those calls from around the state. We've heard from a, no a number of people outside of New York State asking us if um, you know our model might be a fit for their area. And we're looking at potential ways that might be a fit. I mean, right now that nationwide, there really is no strategy that I can see and many of the people I talk to can see for a, I'm really building a tech talent pipeline for the US economy. So I, I believe our model could be one because we are working with assets already within the community, but we wanna make sure we're on solid footing. And so this year we're really building up our um, capacity. So I want you to talk a little bit about the model because I, if I remember the stat correctly, it's in around 80, 85% of the students that go through our programs are are funded. They're either grant funded, they qualify for, for dollars. And so, you know, if someone's listening to this and they know somebody or they themselves are interested in it, but they're afraid of the cost. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I know for the majority of people in need, 
um, they can take this class with no cost out of their pocket. Right. Yep. So our courses have a air quotes for anybody at home that can't see me. I am actually doing the air quote sign. Um, they, it's right about 1950 right now. So $1,950, like Miriam just said, the majority of our students pay nothing to go through our program because we are designed to be affordable. However, 1950 is not a small sum of money for most people. And so we have set up a process of scholarships and I think it's give or take 85 to 90% of people right now in our programs have paid nothing to go through the program. So they're funded through either um, their local workforce investment board office. Each county that someone lives in, they have one of these offices, an employment office, a one-stop career center that can help people with training if they're under or unemployed. And then they can come through a program like ours. Um, We have private philanthropy that pays for some of our tuition scholarships. We have a partnership with the New York State Office for New Americans. So anybody who is a new American in the state of New York who's interested in taking our program, we have funding for that. Um, and we also have a number of, like I mentioned, these private funds. We have a fund for veterans, actually. So any veteran in the state of New York that wants to come through our program, it will be zero cost to them. And that's what we're designed to do, make sure that people have access to these programs. There are a lot of online resources that people can learn. I think the challenge with some of that, there's other boot camps. There's actually lots of this stuff out there. Um, some of the for-profit boot camps are extremely expensive. They're about fifteen k, fifteen thousand dollars, sometimes more. Some are less. But what people, what we're hearing, and um, why our program is a little bit different is that there really isn't like a career matching or career advising component to it. So this bit of work that we do, matching people up to employment, is um, kind of a differentiator for the work that we do. Um, we also are finding there are other programs like ours, but the one thing that's pretty different about our, our work is that some other programs are pretty high to get into. Like you have to have a background in computer science for uh, some yeah, of these programs. Right, that's not the point. That's not, that, the, that's point. not right. the point. Exactly. So we try to make that barrier um, very easy for people to get into the programs. And I, I have yet to come across an organization like ours that um, really meets people where they're at and will bring them along no matter where they are. And address barriers. So one of the things that we found several years ago, we had a student who stopped coming to class. So they were like, oh, this guy just gave up on us. No, they didn't do that. They went and they said, we noticed that you're not coming to class anymore. Why is that? You were doing so well. His computer, whatever he was working with or using, um, was no longer operable. And so he couldn't participate and he couldn't you know, do the work. And so the organization, I, I'm pretty sure it was Anne Marie's brainchild or one of the instructors, but they started a, a laptop lending library is what they call it. And so if you come to the program and you need the equipment to actually do the work, we can help you with that too. So we're trying to address as many barriers as we possibly can to break down because that's the problem. It's usually all of these other barriers that make it harder for people to get this education and start their careers. So I remember when we had more classes in person, a lot sponsored someone so that they could get to class because the transportation was an issue for this person. So we were like, all right, here's a thousand dollars so you can like buy Uber or do whatever you need to do transportation wise because public transit wasn't going to work for this person. So that's the type of stuff that we're always doing. So it's not like, oh, sorry, you can't take the class. You don't have this. We're like, how can we figure out a way so that you are not blocked from it. We, we're trying to break down all, as many barriers as we possibly can. I think that's key. You're setting people up for success and removing anything that could be a reason. I don't want to say excuse because that's not the right word. I don't think any of those, what you described was an excuse is the reality of life. Things break, access 
somebody has to move and maybe fast and doesn't isn't able to take that equipment with them. So I think that's a key selling point. I think this is a great opportunity for a pitch of ask for help, meaning for those businesses out there, whether you're in that tech space or not, as far as a community to get involved with, it's a great way to support folks and getting them into a better situation. Absolutely. Definitely. And I'll pitch so that Anne-Marie doesn't have to, but we need employers. We need employers to help. And even if you're not a tech employer, that doesn't mean you can't help. We're always accepting donations. There's Mm -hmm. a donate now on our website. But it's also career professionals, recruiters, people that can help get these students more career ready. So whether it's practicing interviewing with them or reading over their resume or helping them set up their LinkedIn profile. So you don't have to be a tech person to be involved with CanCode and support the programs and support our students. There's so many ways that organizations can get involved. And so, you know, I'm putting out that public plea for for help. We need help. We're a nonprofit and we want to serve as many people as we possibly can. So in that, I'll end my pitch because this isn't supposed to be about pitching, but I figure in this case, it's okay. And full disclosure, I am on the board. I'm the chair of the board for CanCode Communities, a proud chair of it. And I see day to day what this work is doing for our community as a whole. So it's just super important to me. And I want to make sure we get as many spotlights and as much attention as possible on what we're doing at the organization. So, all right. So this is HR in the car. We've been talking about students, we've been talking about education, but as HR in the car, we also want to know what's in your roadside assistance toolkit. So Anne-Marie, what do you rely on to help you day to day in running this business? Awesome. Wow, this is a stumper. So, well, I have an amazing team, so I would... Like, of course, just want to say having great people on your team. I know that's you a big part of HR. You can't put them on to the kick, though. <laughs> yeah. Can we shake them down <laughs> and, and put them in? Oh. Okay. So actual, like, physical objects that go well, in the kit? It could be... Hmm. It could be a book. It could be a quote. Okay. Our, one of our guests just said, you know, I follow this philosophy. So okay. anything. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Well, I definitely have some things that have been really helpful to me. Um, the last couple of years, we've been using the EOS um, framework. I yep. don't know if folks are uh, familiar yeah. with this. Traction. The, yeah, exactly. Traction. The Entrepreneur's Operating System. That's been really helpful because I am definitely, I read one of the, the books on traction and I was definitely clear that I am the visionary and need a really good operator. Yeah. <laughs> Miriam knows that this about me. I'm always like looking ahead to see what we, what else we could be doing. And uh, that's fabulous, but you really have to be able to kind of put the wheels in motion to make sure all these amazing dreams can actually happen. And EOS has been fabulous with that. Um, I also am a big fan of meditation. I've been doing meditation on and off since I was in college, which is more than 20 years ago. And I um, have had a practice over time. And I can say that if I even just take a few minutes, like when I'm having a bad day or a bad minute, just to take some deep breaths. um, But when I have time to do even more than that, that's been really helpful to me to just keep my focus and just remember, because, you know, life's hard. Everything, you know, could get a flat tire. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Oh, well done. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And then the other thing that's coming to mind, I had a friend once that told me like she's got these, well, I I don't know about my friends here in the room, but those of you also listening, I think I'm right a lot of time. A lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not always right. So like I've been like 
doing this practice of learning, like um, I guess I would call it like second guessing my own thinking, which is to th say things like, you know, what are the things I know? And then what are the things I think I know? And then maybe realize that those might not all actually be true, which is just kind of an interesting thing to think about because it just helps you to like expand all the realms of possibility. This also helps me at home in my marriage where I can say, oh, you know, you might be right about that, honey. Mm. <laughs> but actually, do I really believe you might be right? No. Giving my wife ideas and suggestions that I just right. don't need help with. Right. So if you ever hear me say, you might be right, I'll be thinking, hmm. Well, I have a line. It's, you're right. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah, right. There That's you go. it. Yes. Can awesome. you teach that to my husband? Because he does think he's right all the time. <laughs> so Anne-Marie, thank you. This was, um, I'm so excited we got to talk today. I'm so excited to share CanCode communities with the world, so to speak. And thank you so much for joining us today. It has been an honor and a pleasure. Wow. I'm so thrilled that we get to have Anne-Marie on the show today. It, you know, listening to her talk about the great stories with the former students, alum, whatever you want to call them, taking those situations, even yours where you mentioned the vet that had been homeless or unemployed for an extended period of time, when you can affect somebody in a life-changing manner, I mean, even if it's small, it's, it's helpful, but these were life-changing events for these examples that we talked about today. And there's so many more people out there that need education, need support. They don't have to do it the traditional route. You can do it this way and you can have high paying six figure jobs. And it doesn't have to be just a programmer. You don't have to be just a programmer. I want to make sure people know that going through a program at CanCode can open so many doors, not just becoming, if you don't want to be a programmer, you don't have to be, but you could still take advantage of the programs. And employers, I'm telling you, you're getting the most loyal, ambitious, hungry candidates. You want people who want to work? Go to CanCode Communities and check out their students. We will help you find the right one for your organization. I promise you, you will not regret it. Well, and I always thought it was just in this one little funnel, but to hear about even the digital literacy program, I can't tell you how many people I've interviewed over the years that just you ask them if they knew how to use a computer and they're like, eh, maybe, and, or they give you the runaround. And when you finally got down to the meat and potatoes of it all, you'd find out that you know, they can turn it on and they can surf the, the web, but that was about it. But the fact that this exists gives those folks something to aspire to if they're afraid to jump into that heavier Absolutely. Lift. Honestly, I mean, it's interesting to see, and I can use my own experiences with my own husband. He's working in a job where he he's had to learn so much in computers and I didn't even realize how digital illiterate he was. I don't think he realized, and this is just basic stuff. So there's a lot of people out there that, you know, if they haven't gone to college, haven't had those traditional educations, they may need to start there. And we can help them get to that next level because that's a huge foundation that they can grow upon. For those of you looking for more information on the CanCode communities, read through our show notes on Alant.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of HR in the Car and look forward to talking about our next flat tire moment. I think we're onto something there on our next show. 